Hi, my name is Amanda. I have been working in Rwanda for the last eight years with an organization called Hope for Life. Hope for Life is an organization that is focused on helping youth to escape homelessness and build stronger families. Eight years ago when I went to Rwanda, I knew that there was poverty. The last two years have shown me that it is becoming extreme poverty. I've seen that the marginal populations that we work with, I've seen their struggles continue to amplify. I'll never forget there was a day that I walked out of the office to go like get water or something. And when I had walked out of the office, there was these three boys asleep in the grass. Your heart breaks because you're like, these kids should not be sleeping outside. They should be in a home with family. Those three kids, like, fortunately enough, we were able to bring them in. I'll never forget the day they were so excited to come. It was three of them and their best friend. As we're leaving, he's coming to me and he's saying, Amanda, Nanje, Nanje. And I'm like, I just start crying because Nanje means and me. He was just saying, and me. <laughs> And I had to go home that night and just sit with it and be like, you know, as exciting and amazing as it is that those three are off the streets. When I go to sleep tonight, the only pe person that I can think of is Samuel, who's saying, and me, Amanda, please. Like, I'll never forget that moment. There will always be a Samuel. And I know that, like, for me personally, I was put on this earth for those boys. Like, I, I know that that is... My calling is to those kids. The joy is seeing them go from like this survival mode basically into the center where they're then able to like, all their needs are met and they get to start discovering who they are. It's just amazing to see their childhood like restored in so many ways. In 2019, we partnered with Chapel Street on an expansion project. So it included two buildings. One was a rehabilitation center that would increase our residents to another 25 bed spots. And the other was uh, facilities on site for our staff. This is for the therapist, for our caseworkers, social workers, so that we would all be together on site. So we started construction at the beginning of 2020 and were met with significant challenges. Anything from brick shortages, supply delays. We were only allowed to operate with 30% on site labor-wise. So as you can imagine, that slowed down our timeline significantly. We currently are about 80% finished. The hope is that in the next six to eight months, we finish the project. We are so excited to have that project done so we can start bringing in new youth over the next year. With the number of kids we're seeing go to the streets, I say more than ever, Hope for Life is needed in Rwanda. And one thing that I'm super grateful about is that we started a construction project in 2019 without even knowing what the need was gonna be, right? We're literally building a new building all while we're seeing the need continue to grow and grow and grow. And to be so grateful that God was already making a way even when we didn't know like, what the need was. I am so excited that Hope for Life does this work and that we continue to have partners like Chapel Street that make it possible. There's just so many boys who are so grateful and families for, for the work that Hope for Life does.
I think many of you know that Amanda is one of our Serve the World um, missionaries and, and partners, uh, Hope for Life, and the work going on there in Rwanda was one of our um, Advent giving partners a couple of years ago, which is what she was referring to there. And we tell these stories because we want you to know, you know, uh, uh, what we've been, we talk a lot here about the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God advance and, and how that unfolds and, and our part in that. Amanda grew up in this church and went through student ministries, all of that. And, and this is firsthand from all the people who led in D groups with her, who taught her in Sunday school, who gave to these projects. All of that is, is advancing the kingdom of God. And this is what Serve the World seeks to do in our church. It's one of our giving initiatives. Um, if that's something that you are, are interested again, in just a few weeks, we'll be sharing uh, who our Advent partner is uh, for this year. And we're excited about that. But thank you. Um, thank you for taking the time to, to invest in Amanda as a person, um, but also in the work that's unfolding in, in Rwanda. God is using it uh, for his glory and to advance his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, we're going to um, open up your word this morning. And as we do so, as we just sang a moment, a moment ago, Lord, we, we, we want to invite your Holy Spirit, not because he needs our invitation, but because we need to be aware of his presence. Open our hearts to hear from you. Open our minds to receive from you. Build your kingdom here, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about living according to the way of service, you're, if you were here that week, you'll know that I, I referred to um, the show Dirty Jobs. Um, apparently, I watch a lot of TV because this week I, I wanted to um, draw your attention to Shark Tank. Anybody here a fan, Shark Tank fan? Again, I've seen this, this a handful of times, but there's something about it that is kind of engaging, uh, weirdly so. Like, if you're not familiar with the show, uh, these entrepreneurs will, will kind of come in front of this panel of very successful, you know, business people who are millionaires and billionaires, and, and they're trying to pitch to this panel of, of successful business leaders an idea that they want them to invest in. And so they'll come and, and they will try to convince these, as they call them, these are the sharks, this, this panel, as to why it would make sense for them to invest in them and the company that they have started and the potential that they have to, to grow this, this business. They're asking not only for their financial investment, but really for their, their expertise, their connections. Can you help us get into the market? Can you help us take this to the next level? So just a few examples of things that have um, been on Shark Tank that maybe you are familiar with is uh, one of them was the ring doorbells. Anybody got a ring doorbell? Like, you know, so this was actually a product at the time that it was on Shark Tank. I don't think it was called ring doorbell. I think it was called like doorbot or something like that. Um, and the, the inventor of this, the entrepreneur, like all of the sharks passed on this. None of them chose to, to invest in it. This guy recently sold Ring Doorbell to Amazon for $840 million, right? So it worked out okay for him. Like, uh, anybody familiar with the like, backyard game, beach game, Spikeball? That was a product that, was, uh, that one of the sharks invested in on, on uh, Shark Tank. 
Bomba's socks. Bomba's socks is one of the most uh, lucrative, uh, next to the, the ring doorbell that they passed on, products that, that they invested in. And if you've watched this show, one of the things that stands out to you is these, as these entrepreneurs come and they stand before this panel, there's two things that, that I, occur to me as I watch it. One is that they have almost this evangelistic fervor for their product. Like they are passionate about what it is they do. And there is a wide range of things that they have created. But secondly, they are also convinced that the, everyone in the world needs this thing. That everybody's life would be better with a ring doorbell or bomba socks. Am I saying that right? Bomba socks? Is that how you say that? Bum? Anyways. Um, Bombas? Bombas. Bombas socks. Okay. Well, we got that clarified, right? <laughs> that there's this global appeal for what they have. And it, and it just got me thinking, like, if, if you and I, if we were going to start a global movement, if, if you had something that you thought was going to change the world, where would you begin? At home? Would you look out for the right investors? Somebody that has the, the capital to kind of get this thing going? Would you try to recruit some like influencers, people who others trust or have a big following? And if you can get them to use their product, it's been amazing at times, right? When you've seen stories of how some kind of small scale product will get recommended by like Oprah or something like that. And all of a sudden this person is just, got millions of orders that they're trying to fill? Or would you go more grassroots, right? Would you try to kind of convince us of it? And then we would be like, wow, this is great. And, and we're gonna tell our neighbors and tell our friends, right? Would you kind of go the word of mouth strategy? Historians have long marveled at, at the story of the church, both from a, a Christian perspective, but also from a secular perspective, this movement that in the book of Acts was identified as the way. Right? By any reasonable measure, this was a group of people, a movement that, that should have been easily stamped out. Right? In its very infancy, as, as people looked at it as this sect of Judaism, right, it lacked the institutional and organizational and financial support to gain any traction. If you looked at the, the board of directors, if you will, if you looked at the, sh the leadership of this movement, it was a, a group of fishermen, a tax collector, and a, a, a political zealot. Right? No, nothing that anyone would have looked at and said, these are movers and shakers. And beyond that, the followers in this movement, it's, it was a collection of, of the overlooked Right? People on the margins of society, it was the poor and, and those who were easily ignored. This is what made up the majority of, of this movement's adherence. And there was exceptions to that, but from any kind of like human reason perspective, you would look at this group of people, this movement, and you think, this is going to be short-lived. But of course, we have the advantage point of, of history here, and we know that's not what happened. This movement, this people of the way, not only failed to just kind of die out, but they, they started to spread. 
people begin to hear this message and, and throughout the Roman Empire, there become these little enclaves of groups of people that talked about Jesus and talked about living according to this way and, and these little home churches started to be established. And so there began to be onlookers, people who are seeing this and kind of like, I don't understand, this is, this is compelling, but help me, help me understand what's going on here. You're, there's this group of people who by all reasonable measures should be kind of like dying out and yet is increasing, who at the very core of this movement is this, this crucified Jewish rabbi that they claim was raised from the dead, but I don't know what I think about that, right? He's at the center of all of this. How do I explain this story? How do I explain what's going on? One such person was a man by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus, I, we speculate, was looking at the story of the existence of the church and wanting to understand how did this happen. And so Luke sets out to write the accounts of, of not only the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke, but also the existence of this movement of Jesus followers called the church. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 1, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, this is, uh, this is how it begins. He says, I wrote the first narrative, that's referring to uh, the Gospel of Luke, which we'll go there in a second. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Right. So he, this is part two of the story. It's the story of the church, which, which is, is exactly what Theophilus is, is most likely witnessing and wondering, how does this, how can I reconcile this? If you flip over to the Gospel of Luke, you'll see he begins there very much the same way. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and services of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully invested everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of things which you have been instructed. So he's, okay, I want to tell you the story of the life of Christ. I want to tell you the message that they believe in, that they are claiming, right? And then I want to tell you the story of how this movement begins to spread. And that's what we have in, in, in Acts. Theophilus has looked at all that he sees around him and, and he wants to understand how is this possible. And this is the message that, that Luke wants to account. So now pick it up in verse 6 of, of Acts chapter 1. Back in Acts. So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel 
at this time. So again, like the disciples have heard Jesus proclaim this good news of the, the kingdom. And it's like, is, it, is this, we've gone through the crucifixion. We've seen you raised to life. Is this, is this the moment? And Jesus answers them. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And this, this marks the launch of this movement that begins to spread throughout the Roman Empire. The way of Jesus, for those who have come, become convinced of his message, become convinced of what he has accomplished, the way of Jesus is the way of witness. And as Jesus leaves his apprentices to do the work of his kingdom, he leaves them with these words. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And in, in fact, you're going to be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. Notice that the way of witness entails these three things. It entails these three things. It entails a purpose, a power, and a promise. It entails a purpose, a power, and a promise. Let's start by looking at the purpose of witness. The purpose of witness. There is a universal principle among humankind, and that is that we talk about the things that we love, right? We, we talk about the, the things that we are passionate about. When I was a youth pastor for, uh, you know, those almost 20 years, I understood that when a new student came into the youth group, if I could find something that they cared about, if I could find the thing that they were passionate about, if I could get them talking about that, then they felt a sense of, like, connection and belonging there. So if they were into, like, punk rock, you know, then I tried to learn something about punk rock. I at least tried to learn a question that I could ask about that. I didn't need to know a lot about it. I just needed to be able to get them talking about it, right? If they were into uh, the theater or something like that, I could get them, tell me about that. What show are you doing? What's your favorite part? Whatever. If they were into sports and then, okay, I could step into that a little bit more, right? Like I, I that was a world that I lived in. And you guys know, like 80%, of the stories that I tell up here, right? They're about things that you know that I love, right? So you hear me talk a lot about my family. You hear me tell stories about raising our daughters and things that my wife and I, adventures that we've been on or things that we've done. You've heard me probably on occasion talk a little bit about woodworking, right? Um, you may have once or twice heard me mention Ohio State football from time to time, right? Like it, it Yesterday, my oldest daughter, uh, for my birthday, took me to the Ohio State Northwestern game, right? So I got to combine all these loves in one little, like, 
thing, you know? Lindsay and I, we were breaking down bears trades earlier today. Like we talk about the things that we're, we're passionate about. And so Jesus, he leaves his followers. And as he is ascending into heaven again, we, we've been looking at some of this whole way of Jesus. And we're, we're noticing like when Jesus is speaking some of his last words to his followers, he's, he's emphasizing certain things. And as he does so here, he says to his disciples, I'm leaving you here as my witnesses. You're here to bear witness. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I'm leaving you with the work of telling people what you've seen. I, I want you to be able to tell people what I've done for you. And Jesus starts to, to lay out the strategy here. It's going to be this grassroots movement that spreads as a result of people hearing from his followers, as people hearing his followers bear witness. Hey, look at this. I've, uh, this map sort of lays out Jesus' strategy here. There's these concentric circles, right? And he says, we're going to start in Jerusalem, which I think that, that's where they were, and that would have made perfect sense in their minds. Yeah, we're, we're going to leave here, and we're going to go out, and we're going to talk to our neighbors and our friends, and we're going to tell them the story. And then it's going to expand from there into Judea. And it's like, okay. That, that makes sense. There's a lot of Jews that live in Judea, and we get that. And then he says Samaria, and they're probably like, like that's a bit adventurous, Jesus, right? Like we're, now this is starting to expand, but he goes beyond that. He says, in fact, I, it's going to be my witnesses that take this message all the way to the ends of the earth. This is going to be a global movement, Jesus says. For some of us, when we, we talk about this, there's this almost inevitable reaction that we have. Right? If you would have walked in this morning and, and I would have said, the sermon's gonna, we're going to talk about witnessing and we're going to talk about sharing our faith and evangelism. Right? For some of us, like our palms would immediately start to get sweaty. Right? We start to squirm in our seat and, and we start telling ourselves, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Right? Or, or, or let's, isn't this best left up to the professionals? Like, isn't, isn't that your job, Sterling, to do this? And I'll be completely frank with you. I get it. I do, I do not have the spiritual gift of evangelism. But I have a story to tell. See, Jesus here does not seem to section this off to a few, but rather he makes this the parting instruction to his followers. You will be my witnesses. Because you, if you are in Jesus here today, if you have experienced his grace, if you've been transformed by that you have a story to tell and i think the word that he chooses here is it's it's instructional it's intentional and it's purposeful right you it's the idea of giving testimony to so think of it almost from a, a legal standpoint like a courtroom setting you're going to bear witness to what you've seen you're going to tell them what happened and how it happened the purpose of witness is to give firsthand accounts of the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. So if grace, available to us through Jesus, right, by faith, if grace, if it has in any way transformed my life, if it's transformed your life, tell the story. 
I was spiritually dead. And I've been made alive. I, I was blind, but now I see. I was, there was this old creature, and I have been made a new creation in Christ. And we all have a story to tell. If Jesus has made any difference in your life at all, then you have a story and you have a job to do. We get to see this on display pretty early in, in the book of Acts. If you flip over to Acts chapter 5. The apostles, now this is following Pentecost, and the apostles and, and the disciples are all about this, this instruction that Jesus has left them. In fact, they kind of, they can't shut up about it, even when it's their, their own lives are being threatened. And so um, the, the disciples have been thrown into G, uh, jail. Peter has been warned, like, you got to stop talking about this. This is chapter 5, verse 27 now. It says, after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in, the, in, in this name? Look. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus up, whom you have murdered by hanging him on a tree. But God, but God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Notice two things here. First, Paul, Paul cites this, this need to bear witness as an act of obedience. Right? There are competing authorities at play here. And Peter's answer is clear. We have to obey God. Jesus made it our mission to bear witness when we, we cannot disobey that command in our lives but i also think it's critical to understand that peter understands this as a, as an act of love right verse 31 god exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance in israel and forgiveness of sins like we we have to tell you the great news right when we live lives according to the way of jesus right it is going to elicit some questions from those who bear wit who see it who witness it firsthand they're going to ask questions as to why what motivates you why would you sacrifice in that way like it's going to naturally elicit some questions it's going to give us opportunities to be obedient right but also to act in love for our neighbors and our friends and the people god puts around us to quote Paul in, in Romans, we're going to have opportunity to say to people, but God proves his, uh, proves, excuse me, I'm like choking on my own spit there for a second. I don't know why I say certain things out loud. Like as it, <laughs> as it was coming out of my mouth, I sort of like, you probably don't need to tell them this. Like <laughs> Romans 5 chapter 8 but god proves his own love for us in this that while we are still sinners christ died for us we're gonna we're gonna get to tell that story we we, we like peter in in first peter chapter 3 
where he instructs the church in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have in you. Like, be ready, be prepared to tell people why, to tell them the story. The way of Jesus is the way of witness. Tell the story of what the resurrected Jesus has done for you. But we don't do this in our own strength. Clearly in Acts chapter 1, we see the, the power of witness. The power of witness. I think that, um, again, when you read this passage, it just sort of jumps off the page at you. When Jesus says this to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. This is, I think, both a direct reference to what's about to unfold at Pentecost, but I also think it is an inst it's instructive to what is true about us when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. When I was a kid, and, and here I go, I talk about the things I love, right? Like, from the very time that I can remember, I've always loved, like, working with my hands, building things. And so as a child, I always had projects going on out in the backyard, trying to make a clubhouse, doing something. And there was always scrap lumber laying around, and I would be out there with my dad's handsaw trying to cut through stuff, and it would just, I would be at it for seemingly forever, barely making any progress. Sometimes my dad would, would come home from lunch, and he would ask me what I'm working on, and I'd explain to him, I'm trying to, trying to cut this, this board, Dad, but I'm, I've been at it all day, and he would do this thing where he would, he would put me on the board and he would put the saw in my hand and I would have my hand on the saw, but then he would stand behind me and his arm would come and he'd put his arm over mine and together we would saw through the board. And I was there, I was a part of it, but it was his power that was doing it. Like it was his power that was accomplishing it. Right? One of our greatest fears that we have as it relates to our ability to bear witness is that very thing it's our ability right what i feel capable of or equipped for and yes we we can and should grow in that but we need to understand there is a power that comes with this purpose there's a power that comes with it the holy spirit it isn't based on your ability but rather on his our job is to respond in obedience and love Remember what Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of John. He said, nevertheless, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right? It's going to be his power. Right? He, again, Jesus is helping us understand what is his role and what is ours. It's our role to bear witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to empower that witness for the work of conviction and salvation. Right? He is the one who transforms. He moves us from death to life. Again, at the beginning of, of the book of Acts, we see this on display. If you know the story at all, and we don't have time to, to go read it there today, but you see the Holy Spirit descend on on the apostles on the disciples and they begin to just proclaim the news but not only are they proclaiming the news they're actually telling people about the resurrected jesus and languages that they don't natively speak 
so that these people can understand it. They can hear the gospel in their own language. And others are watching this and they're, they don't know what to make of it. Some of them are like, this is a clear display of, of the power of God. Others are like, are these people drunk? And I don't know a lot about being drunk, but I've never thought of somebody who is overserved just starting to speak a language that they don't know. Here's the point. The Spirit empowers their witness. If, if he can translate the message of the gospel into languages that these disciples don't even know, then he can translate that same message into the heart of, of your coworker, to their very needs. He can speak it into the struggles of your neighbor. He can translate it into the doubts of, of your friends. Right? There is freedom and there is courage that comes when we understand the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. So Acts continues just to describe Peter, the same Peter who is overcome by fear and who denies Jesus, just standing up at every opportunity he gets all throughout Jerusalem and then beyond to tell the story of the resurrected Jesus. And that leads us then to the promise of witness. The promise of witness. Back in verse 9 now. It said, after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching in a cloud, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into the heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. I love, I love the, the, the depiction of this. I love this, the disciples like standing there. Like, I mean, wouldn't we all just like imagine the ascension like happening in front of us? And you're just like, right? And then there's these guys that show up and they're like, what are you looking at? Like, essentially, the, the, these angels, these, they, they show up here to the disciples to say, what did he tell you to do? Like, go get busy. Get busy telling people the message. And, and, and all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus preparing his followers for two realities. One, that he's going to leave them. And two, that he is going to return to them. The promise of the return of Jesus does two things for us as apprentices of Jesus. It provides comfort and it provides urgency. It provides comfort because we're reminded that the kingdom that Jesus taught us, that it will be realized in full. That there's going to be a day when this world operates out of perfect love and perfect justice and perfect peace. Right? What was in Genesis chapter 1 where humanity existed in perfect harmony within the presence of God, that's going to be restored. Brokenness healed, death destroyed, sin defeated. It's a part of that hope that Peter told us to be able to, to have an answer for, to be able to explain that day is coming, church, take comfort. But it also is meant to instill a, a sense of urgency in us. In fact, I think this is probably the, the, the overt implication of what's going on here. It's that get started. When Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 28, when we see the Great Commission, therefore, go make disciples. I, I, I think like in our minds, we should hear that as, as go. 
make disciples. Like not this lofty sort of like this is going to be, but an immediate instruction to go about that work. Go make disciples. Jesus gave us a mission to take the gospel across the street and across the world. And the expectation of the apprentices of Jesus is that we would get busy doing the work of bearing witness. So this week, as you go about your day, my challenge, my encouragement to you is, is to be ready to tell your story. In fact, I want you to just think about this week, I want you to just come in with a mindset and a heart set that God is going to create for you opportunities, interactions with people in your life to tell them about what Jesus has done for you. And it might be a, a short conversation. It, it may be an extended time over a cup of coffee where you're really laying it out. But be open. See if God doesn't create some opportunities. And when he does, because I'm convinced he will, trust the Holy Spirit. All those sort of doubts and struggles going on in your mind. It's like, am I going to mess this up? Do I have the right words? Trust the Holy Spirit. Again, we can grow in that. We can learn more about it. But don't miss the marker of what Jesus left us with. Bear witness. And he will empower your witness through his spirit. As we conclude today, our, our response is going to be to come to the Lord's table. In fact, um, Bob... I forget, would you grab those elements over here and bring them up? You should have received these when you came in this morning. One of those, thank you. And, um, and I think this is such an important way as we think about what it means to bear witness to remind us of what we're bearing witness to. Because the Lord's table is this tangible moment that we have in the life of the church that reminds us of what Jesus has done on our behalf. What we, what we are bearing witness to. Um, if you need, by the way, if you didn't receive these when you came in, just kind of raise your hand. One of our ushers will make sure that you get this. And I am going to point out this morning um, that these are different than what we have done in the past. So if you notice, the, the bread is kind of on the smaller side of the cup, and you can peel that back. And do that this morning and take the bread. And when you think about the story that you have to tell people, you, you're reminded of how when Jesus was with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body that I am going to give for you. We experienced his grace through his body on the cross given for us. This is our story. Take and eat in remembrance of him. And if you flip the cup over, again, Jesus said to his disciples in that moment as he gives them the Passover cup the, the cup of the promise 
He said, this cup is the promise of my blood. It's blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. It's the blood of a new covenant. As you drink this cup, be reminded of the freedom that you have from sin because of the blood of Jesus. You have a story to tell. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Amen. Would you stand with me? Church family, if we can be praying with you this morning, it is an honor and a privilege to do that. I'm available. We can talk to other staff. Um, in fact, the staff and I will, once again, we'll be out back. If, if we can meet with you, just learn a name, we would love to be able to do that this morning. If you came prepared to give, our generosity boxes are, are by the two side doors. Those are available Again, you see the story of Amanda Good and what God is doing in our world. Um, and we're so grateful for the ways that you partner with us in that. And now receive the, this morning's benediction. Therefore go, make disciples in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Tell your story in the name of Jesus. Amen.